right, first and foremost, I need to do some thanking. Uh, as many of you might know, last week I was in Virginia Beach, and my lovely wife and my mom and I were at a great place uh, right on the water. It was awesome. It was wonderful. But it was also one of the first days I've been out on a Sunday in probably a couple of years. So there was a little bit of, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, anxiety. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I was able to find some great, great folks to uh, Drew, Jordan, you're the man. Sean, Carrie, so are you. You're not the man, Carrie, but you know, you get my, you, you're, you're, you're what, I'm, what I'm preaching. <laughs> get it? You're what I'm preaching? Oh, sorry, bad joke. Anyway, long story short, these folks and, and, and all the other folks that really stepped up, and, and I appreciate every single person who allowed me and my family to go away on the weekend or a week and not worry about the setup and tear down of the church. It was just awesome, and I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Next, I would like to talk a little bit about how this came to be. How is it that Mike is up here preaching again? This is weird. This normally doesn't happen more than a couple of times a year, and it's like the second time in a month or so. Well, what happened is this. Pastor Matt Benton had agreed to uh, take on this, this chrysalis weekend, and he had thought that he had already sort of lined up somebody to preach. And unfortunately, that didn't quite work out. So like the day before I left on my vacation, Matt said, so how do you feel about preaching? <laughs> uh, exactly, that was my, 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 my thought as well. I'm like, but, I, but I'm going on vacation. I want to I play in the water. I want to play my video games. Sorry, honey. Um, and, but, but God said no. And especially, I was especially convicted when he told me what I was going to be preaching on. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Oh, man. Okay, I will. It really wasn't that hard, really. I, I, I love preaching. I love preaching the word. Um, but like I said, when it's a very short period of time, you know, before preparation and actually doing it, and especially since we didn't get home till yesterday afternoon, uh, there was a certain amount of anxiety. I want to say that more than one time during this morning, I, I promise you. But uh, it all worked out, okay? Even though the devil was throwing all kinds of slings and arrows at us, while we were at the beach, uh, we got down there and almost immediately found out that somebody in, in Washington State had used Rosanna's uh, credit card to spend about $500 on video games, which she really liked a lot. <laughs> so we had to deal with that. And then, you know, we had to deal with, with all kinds of other complications during the week. And, and, and I know for a fact that it was just the devil going, trying to poke me off of what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. And that's being here and preaching the word with you fine folks. As uh, many of you who were here last week, Pastor Benton uh, started a series on the book of Philippians. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be, this is the second message. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Benton spoke to you about why we're studying Philippians. What's the cultural significance of the area? Uh, in the long ago past and also at the time of Jesus and his apostles. We learned about the power and absolute rule of the Romans. We learned that uh, the society, the ruling class, pretty much wanted you to serve and 
uh, call as Lord the Caesar. And uh, if you were in that society and were worshiping someone else, you had a really short lifespan, okay? So there was quite a bit of that uh, um, cultural uh, pressure to not worship the Lord and not worship Jesus. Um, you, you can see a lot of parallels in today's society where living an authentic uh, Christian lifestyle has become very countercultural. Uh, next, Pastor Matt can, uh, guided us through chapters 1, verses 1 through 11 of the book of Philippians, and I will be doing the rest of chapter 1. Uh, it'll be chapter 1, verse 12 through 30. But first, I'd like to give you a brief introduction to some of the major themes that are going on in this section of Scripture. As Matt mentioned last week, Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi while he was in prison. Philippians is known as one of Paul's prison epistles or letters. The others are Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. So as you can tell, Paul spent a lot of time locked up. Uh, you might be asking yourself, what was he doing that was getting him in that much trouble with the rulers of the day? Was he a murderer? Was he a thief? Did he cheat on his taxes? What was going on? Um, his crime was that he was proclaiming Jesus as Lord at a time when both the Jews and the Romans were worshiping someone else. The Jews had completely rejected Jesus as Messiah and Lord to the point of handing him over to be crucified. They worshiped the law. The Romans viewed Caesar as Lord and anyone who was unwilling to worship him was viewed as a criminal. So they worshiped Caesar. And because Paul was committed to proclaiming the gospel and spreading the good news that Jesus was Lord, he was not a real popular guy. And yet here, Paul is writing these letters to the churches in the area with such love and excitement and optimism. In the following verses, we'll find out where Paul's hope came from and how he could preach such an amazing light from such a really dark and desolate prison cell. So let's get to it, shall we? We'll start in verse 12. And I'll just go ahead and read the whole section that we're going to do, and then we'll break it down uh, from there. It says in chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that though through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed, from, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. 
For to me is to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am I absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That's the whole section we're dealing with today. So let's take it verse by verse. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, how many of you here would not be quite so cheery if you were sitting in a prison cell with no reasonable expectation of any better treatment in the near future? Exactly. It just can't be the promotion of the gospel, right? I mean, if we're all followers of Jesus here, but to what degree are we followers? And to what degree are we merely fans? Content to play the part as long as it doesn't cramp our style too terribly much. A book I read not long ago called Not a Fan. Some of you may remember it. Uh, I think we did, a, uh, several groups did a, a Bible study on that book said that we are saved by God's grace when we believe in Jesus and put our faith in him. But biblical belief is more than something we confess with our mouths. It's something we confess with our lives. But prison? Really? What could possibly be such a great gain by that? Reading on. So that it has become known throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. Speak the word without fear. Now that's a gain, right? His imprisonment has affected his jailers and made the other brothers, and I'm sure sisters, much more bold to speak the gospel and spread the love of Jesus. That's amazing. Folks that are basically there to keep him locked up, to keep him down. I know so, so many of you know that I and my, my wife and several others have been actually inside prison preaching the gospel, and that doesn't happen very often. Uh, a lot of times in prisons, you'll see folks, especially the, the, the correctional officers, the COs, uh, their job is to keep those guys and ladies down. They don't want them to have hope. They don't want them to, in any way, shape, or form, feel like there is any possibility that they're going to get out or 
that they are not completely under the CO's control. Many years ago, I was in a prison, uh, and over the years that we had been in this, this particular prison, we had seen a softening of some of the guards to the point where they knew us by name. They would, would make sure that we had all the things that we need. Doors were open. Things would, would, would happen that normally would not happen to the point where one of the CEOs was so moved by what he was seeing in that, that room that he came up and asked if he could sing with some of the other brothers. It just floored everybody. We were like, wow, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's move in that man's heart to be able. And then, and then the, the, the great thing was the residents were sitting there going, wow, these guys are real. These aren't robots. These are men that have been moved by the Holy Spirit. And that just broke everything up. It brings up another topic what as followers of Jesus are we supposed to be doing? Back in Matthew 28:19, Jesus tells us, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you." All that I have commanded you. That does not sound like a suggestion, does it? not a suggestion or a, if you're not too busy or if it isn't too much of an inconvenience. No, it, Jesus demanded these things. He commanded us to do certain things. If our heart is truly changed by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, if love has affected us to the point where we want to give our lives to the service of Christ, it's going to require something. It might even require going to prison. All throughout the New Testament, we see the words of Christ in red. And if we only read them with the idea that Jesus is trying to tell us something about the way we're living now, we're called to be Christ-like and transformed into the image of Christ. If we are blending into secular society, our message of hope and love gets blurred and watered down. Why do you think we're seeing such a drop-off in church attendance worldwide? What attraction is there if the so-called followers of Christ can't seem to make it to church more than 1.4 times a month? Or is it 1.3 times? Uh, I forget. Either way, we really, either we really believe what we really believe, or we need to stop and evaluate how we're living our lives. If the change on the outside is happening, there has to be a matching change. If a change on the inside is happening, then you have to have a matching change on the outside. You can't grow tomatoes and think you're going to get pears. You're going to get tomatoes if you do the right thing. If you're sitting there going, oh, I can't wait for them pears, you're going to be really disappointed. I don't like fruit that much anyway, so it wouldn't be a big deal. A life sold out to Jesus will naturally bear fruit. You'll be able to see a difference in how you live. And when push comes to shove, you'll be willing to go to prison if it means advancing the gospel and seeking the lost. Moving on. Some indeed 
preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So here we see that not everyone who is preaching Christ is doing so from a pure heart. Shock. I've I've been doing this for quite a few years, and I'll tell you now, there's there's good ministers and good pastors and good people and lay people, and then there's also folks that have been taken off on a bad path. There are folks that have been beat down by the world, beat down by ministry, and perhaps their heart's just not in it anymore. They're human beings that are fallible. Um, Some are doing it out of selfish ambition and rivalry. Um, And I think we can probably look back and see that for the most part of, what, 2,000 years, that's pretty much been the way it is. You have good ones and you have bad ones. We are all earthly vessels, all subject to contamination of our pure spiritual desires. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some have fallen short. Some have sinned. It says all. So if that is true, then why do we look upon our ministers, pastors, and lay folk as somehow separated from the sin that affects the rest of the population? We are all imperfect earthen vessels that God is using to preach the gospel and bring the lost to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that even in their imperfect, poorly motivated way, Christ is being proclaimed. God's message is getting through no matter what. Romans 8 tells us, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. We need to trust that no matter how imperfect the manner of the message being transmitted God can use it for good. Moving on. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You see, Paul has the hope, even in the despair of his captivity, even in the poor treatment and less than honorable compatriots trying to Basically, hey, he's in prison. Let's see if we can make some money on this. Guys, even all of that happening, still he rejoices with a full expectation of deliverance. But what will that deliverance look like? He continues, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul is trusting God no matter what his earthly fate. He knows that Jesus went ahead and prepared a place for him. He prepared a place for all of us. He knows that when his work on this world is finished, he will know no more fear, no more pain, no more tears. 
He is prepared to give his all in the advancement of the gospel. Sort of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? To a man, the apostles were willing to give their lives so the message of Jesus Christ was preached to the entire world. 2,000 years later, we can't seem to muster the energy to worship him on Sundays. It really goes back to what you really believe. It speaks to what you value as ultimate worth. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul's treasure was in heaven. Where's yours? Many years ago, I was cleaning out a closet, and I came upon a, a, a box full of old mementos, but it also had a whole bunch of those uh, people probably don't even remember what these are. Checkbooks, uh, the, the little, little things where you, you, you write down uh, what you used your uh, checks with and, and for. A little, uh, what are they? there you go, that's what it is. I found that, and it was from years and years ago, you know, and I started leafing through it and just reminiscing, you know, going, oh yeah, NASCAR. Pizza, NASCAR. Pizza and NASCAR. Um, Booze, more NASCAR. <laughs> get, you, get, you get a point here? And I started in my spirit to re- feeling sick because I didn't see anywhere where I was doing anything for anyone else. I wasn't putting my money for anything but me because that's what I worshiped. Christ had not touched my heart yet. I, I, I think at that point I probably believed, but only with my head, not with my heart. Because it hadn't changed my heart, my outward being was still all about me. And I was miserable. I couldn't understand that. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got all this money, I've got all this stuff, I've got this fancy car, and I'm miserable. Because what I valued was really not worth very much. You see, as we move on, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I'd always struggle with this section. I could not wrap my head around the idea that to die is gain. From an earthly perspective, it doesn't seem to make much sense. But from an eternal, spiritual perspective, it makes all the sense in the world. If I live, I live to the glory of Jesus Christ, to labor in bringing the gospel message to the world, to love the lost and the lonely, and to grow in my knowledge of him who is sending me forth. But to die, now that is ultimate gain. gain. Because as Paul tells us, it is far better to depart and be with Christ. 
The great uh, preacher, Dwight Moody, once said, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe it? A word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I don't think there are any words that could adequately describe or express how ultimately and eternally satisfying it will be to see Jesus face to face. I can only imagine, right? That song by Mercy Me. I can only imagine what it'll be like. But even though Paul knows how wonderful it will be on the other side, his focus is to remain on our account for our progress and joy in the faith. Put simply, because of love. Love, the kind that puts one's own wants and desires behind the welfare of another. The kind that Jesus displayed on the cross when he willingly died for the sake of the sinner who put him here. That was me. It was you. It was all of us. But he did so out of love. The kind of love that will make someone crawl after they've been beaten and, and flayed to crawl up on, on their own power on that cross because they know in that cross, on that cross, is the ultimate salvation for everyone who has ever lived and will live. That is a kind of love that puts one's own wants and desires behind. That kind of love comes from a life transformed by God's grace and forgiveness. It changes us from the inside out and allows us to love others with little or no regard for our own desires, safety, or welfare. Can we imagine another time in all of human history when this kind of love is needed more? There is so much hate and distrust and prejudice and disregard for human life. I think I put it on Facebook this week after everything that had been happening in the news that Martin Luther King, and I know I'm probably not going to get it completely right, but he said, darkness cannot be dispelled with more darkness. Hate cannot be dispelled with more hate. The only thing that dispels hate is love. We have to love. And that love comes from God. Because God is love. We have to let that in and let it change us. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Daunting, to say the very least. Especially if we are going on the lone gunslinger commando style and trying to work out our faith by ourselves. Paul gives us the answer in the next verse. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
We are to stand side by side, united with one mind and not frightened by our opponents. Just one more example of the importance of meeting together. Hebrews 10 tells us that we should not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We simply cannot do this on our own. It is impossible to live a life worthy of the gospel by ourselves, without God, and without others. The two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything flows from these two commandments, from these two demands. It always comes back to love. And love, real love, is from God. In the last couple of verses, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That seems a little ironic, doesn't it? Facing opposition and persecution is a clear sign of our opponent's destruction? I guess it all comes down to one's definition of success, success versus failure. Are we looking at life through the eyes of faith or through the eyes of the world? I asked you before, where does your treasure come from? Fearless faith comes from holding on to Christ as our treasure. The world doesn't understand that. And we are mocked and ridiculed for our peculiar beliefs that don't fit the mold of today's culture. But the Bible tells us in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if we really believe what we really believe, our lives should bear fruit. Galatians tells us that the kind of fruit we should be seeing, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Bearing that kind of fruit takes courage, and it's not easy. But Jesus told us that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that his Holy Spirit would remain to guide us, to comfort us, and to lead us into godly relationships that can strengthen us when the road gets rough. Notice I didn't say if the road gets rough. When the road gets rough. Because it will. In this life, there will be tribulation. There will be trouble. But we have Jesus of ultimate value. Just another reason why Spirit in Life so strongly encourages you to join a small group, to get involved in the ministries of the church. It's not just so we can say, look how many numbers we have. It's not just so we can get all these jobs taken care of. That's not it. 
when you do these things, when you engage with one another, you experience the body of Christ. I've talked to so many people, Kevin, somewhere around here somewhere, we had a really great conversation about how different things are now that we are going from using temps to do the lion's share of our setup to volunteers. Out of the woodwork, all these great volunteers are showing up, and it's amazing, it's awesome. But the cool byproduct of that is fellowship. It's getting to know each other. It's getting to, to be a part of each other's lives in the service of something greater than ourselves and getting out of each other's way to see somebody, really see them. That's a joy that I, I can't even comprehend that we get to do. And so many on the outside might think, oh, why are you doing that? You should be able to sleep in and watch cartoons or something like that. I don't watch cartoons anymore. We are meant to be in community. In the beginning, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I said earlier about our mission. Our mission is to help people authentically encounter Jesus Christ. Why? Because we believe the gospel is worth living for. It's worth dying for. And we want to show others how supremely valuable it is when we die to self and take up our crosses to be a blessing to the people God puts in our path. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for opening up this part of Scripture to us, Father God. We know that there is no part of Scripture that can be un unleashed and, and truly understood without your spirit. Father God, help us to rely on you more than the stuff and the things of this world. Help us to see Jesus Christ as of ultimate value and ultimate worth. Help us, Father God, to, to keep him at the forefront of our lives and then allow us to see how fruitful and how beautiful and how joyful our lives can be, become when we order our priorities in that way. God, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us all together here on this beautiful summer day. We ask you to be with Pastor Benton and bring him home safely and we ask you to just continued uh, prayers for the, the missionaries out there and the, and the workers in the fields. Father, we thank you and we glory in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.